morning, CoveyCast listeners. I'm so delighted to be here today with someone I've admired for a long time, who is a really diligent worker for women. Uh, Her name is Julia Pimsler, and she is a multi-time entrepreneur. She ran a business called Little Pim, which was all about teaching kids and babies how to have a second language. And now she's on her fourth reinvention. And she is trying to get millions of women to have million dollar businesses. And she goes about it in a very different way. I took her master class and she really goes about it in a very sort of logical and concrete way that I think is very helpful. And so we have a wonderful discussion uh, this morning with Julia Pimsler. And I think you're really going to find all of her advice and all of her tips and tricks very concrete and very easy to help get yourself from either the concept phase to how do I move that rock up the hill every single morning when I wake up as an entrepreneur. And I think it will also give people who are not sure if they want to be an entrepreneur a look into the the difficulties and the joys of being an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of reading tips and a lot of book tips that she gives inside uh, the discussion as well that I think you'll enjoy. So I want to welcome Julia Pimsler. So good morning, Julia Pimsler of Million Dollar Women. I am so glad to finally get you on the CoveyCast. Just so everybody knows out there, I took Julia's master class, which was revelatory, revelatory for me. Um, I have never been a uh, entrepreneur before. I have only been a corporate cog and really all I can say is Julia has really sort of opened my eyes to how you make that transition. And I know a lot of you out there are trying to make that transition or are thinking about making that transition from corporate to entrepreneur. And Julia is our expert. She knows everything about it. And she's so good at articulating what the issues are. So Julia, I am thrilled to have you here. I know it's taken a long time to get our schedules right. Thanks, so, Leslie. I thought we you? might have to get back on the plane to get this thing done. Right. So the hilarious <laughs> part everybody should know. Yeah, you tell. We, were, we met by accident on an airplane in the front row. We were both coming back from a conference, but not the same conference. And we started chatting up and that was the end of it, right? Yep. And we both had our computers open and our noses down and I was fixing things on my website and you were fixing things on your website. And I was like, I think I have to know this person. <laughs> right. So totally lovely. And Julia used her sales skills on me to get me to join the Million Dollar Women Masterclass that she does. Well, I'm so glad you did. It was wonderful no. having you in the community and you've been giving so much to people who want to pick your brain too. That's one of the best things about our community is everyone in it is amazing at at least one or two things and then trying to figure the rest out and everyone's helping each other. And one of the great things is I will say that one of the great things about the masterclass was unexpectedly um, when I was in one of the groups, other attendees private messaged me and said she was, she's a coach, a personal coach, which I don't really know much about. And she private messaged me and said, you don't know what you're sitting on. Call me later. 
And she gave me some incredible ideas that I had never thought about. I and know. they were really and vital to how on I'm revamping. fire with the Cubby Club. It's so fun to yeah. watch. So anyway, so let's start with Julia. But anyway, that's just sort of our beginning together. And we're so excited to bring all of you listeners in. And um, Julia's just a great instructor. So I'm going to set her off. And uh, she's going to tell you all the great things she knows. So let's just start out with really a very short background. I always think it's interesting to find out where people grew up, what did their parents do? Because sometimes these are, you know, entrepreneurial families, which makes it easier for people who have never done it before. Or the just the background will give you an idea of, of why people do what they would do. So Julia, just tell us quickly, what's your background? Thanks. And so great to be here and get to connect with some of your listeners. So I came out of New York City, actually. I was not born here, but I was raised here as of the age of nine. And I had uh, a very academic parents background. Uh, my father was a professor of romance languages, and uh -huh. my mother was teaching critical thinking in college. She was an ancient Greek studies major, and I grew <laughs> up hearing the Greek myths as bedtime stories. So not exactly an entrepreneurial hotbed, but my father did develop a method for adults to learn a foreign language that some of your listeners may know called the Pimsleur method that he started selling when I was very little. And uh, he unfortunately never lived to see it become a thriving business. He died very young at 48 when I was a, a, oh. a young girl. But he did create this method that then went on to be the one of the best selling language teaching methods rival with Rosetta Stone. So I'm very, very proud of that. Wow. Well, that's entrepreneurial, though. That's not nothing. No, the creating it was very entrepreneurial. And it's funny because it was before the word was even in use, right? Nobody called themselves entrepreneurs. Even when I started my first business, which was a, a film production company, now we would have been a startup, right? But back then we were right. just like a company. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't think my father ever thought of himself as an entrepreneur, but he was certainly a creator and a visionary and, and a risk taker, which I often emphasize is what entrepreneurs have in common is, right? We all have a high tolerance for risk. He had a steady, you know, cushy job in the, in the academic world. And he went out on a limb and created this whole new way of learning a second language, which was an, an audio method where you would just listen to people speaking and learn to speak a language without studying right. grammar or sitting in a classroom for hours and hours. That was like revolutionary at the time. And then he and my mom used to send out the, what were at the time, audio tapes, like from the basement. She says she used to, you know, put in loads of wash you know, for me and my brother and when we were kids and like packaging up the audio tapes and sending them out of the post office. That's hysterical. I feel like that where I'm sending out the Cuffee Club mugs from my, you know, living room, which is totally. so hilarious. And if like anybody should walk by, they have to sit down and like package 10 before they're allowed to, you know, pass through the room, right? <laughs> I love it. Well, this is the world. But see, that's entrepreneurial. And also, it's interesting when you talk about um, critical thinking. I see a lot of academia and critical thinking in what you do and your approach to being an entrepreneur. So I think oh, that's thanks. an interesting thread. Well, so I let's do talk love a teaching and I think I get that from my family. You know, my, my cousin teaches at a top university in Paris. And even though I was an entrepreneur for years, of course, my entrepreneurial venture was teaching in a way, right? It was foreign language learning for young children. So I guess there uh, that's my, my other love along with business building. Oh, so then it's a total thread from your parents. This was absolutely going to happen. <laughs> you, you, you teed me up for that. <laughs> okay. So talk a little bit about Little Pim and why you did it and what the challenges were. 
Sure. So one thing I love about what you're building, Leslie, is I am on my fourth career, and this is my favorite one so far, but the others really led me to this place. So first, I was a documentary filmmaker, which I did for many years, making independent films for PBS and Cinemax Real Life and, and HBO. But that was sort of a crazy lifestyle. And when I had my family, I became a nonprofit fundraiser where I raised over $20 million for a variety of human rights nonprofits. And while I was home on maternity leave in career number two as the nonprofit fundraiser, I came up with the idea for language teaching for young children, which came out of my legacy as a Pimsleur, you know, my father having created the Pimsleur method, but also brought in my filmmaking and my status as a new mom. Um, as soon as I had my first son, I knew I wanted him to learn French. And there was weirdly nothing on the market to teach young children a second language. I'd had all the benefits of growing up bilingual because my father spoke many languages and we moved to Paris when I was a little girl for him to teach at the Sorbonne. So wow. I grew up bilingual and that opened so many doors for me from scholarships to living and working abroad to just incredible professional opportunities. And so there was nothing like that for little kids and I decided to create it, which led to career number three, running Little Pim, which I built and scaled up over the course of about nine years and now becoming a scaling coach with the Million Dollar Women Movement. And talk a little bit about why you're doing Million Dollar Women and what did you see out there that needed fixing? Why did you focus on that and talk a little bit about the book? Sure, so I'll back up to career number three with Little Pim. When I created the business, I really had not thought of myself as an entrepreneur, even though I had run the film production company. But like I said, we weren't calling ourselves entrepreneurs back then. So I really started Little Pim because I was passionate about helping young children learn a second language and wanted to help parents be their kids' first language tutors. We were focused on children ages zero to six. So it was a multimedia program and they were studying it at home, very affordable. Um, but, you know, I didn't have a big vision for how I was going to grow the business. I wanted it to be a big, successful international company. I wanted to reach millions of children, but I hadn't gone to business school. I didn't have a finance background. And after a few years, I started feeling really kind of burnt out and also a bit lost. I was working so hard, you know, six days a week and going back to work after the kids were in bed. Then I had another uh, child, my second son, Adrian. And so I was just working around the clock. And I think many entrepreneurs can relate to this, that, you know, when you start a business, you're so full of enthusiasm and the sky's the limit. But a few years in, you find you have like mounting bills, mm. you aren't making the margins you hoped you would be making, you're not really sure how to solve all these issues, and it can be very scary and lonely. And then if you look at the stats around this, it turns out that half of all businesses shut down within the first five years and women run businesses are twice as likely to shut down because they run out of cash. So mm. I was in that danger zone myself without knowing that I was part of a national statistic. I was just you know, right. up at night worrying. And it was at that time that I considered even shutting down my company, which I only admit because many entrepreneurs feel that way from time to time and we don't talk about it very much. But I like to talk about it because that led to my epiphany which was that I really needed help. And I found coaches and mentors and the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is an international organization to help entrepreneurs scale up their businesses. I joined their accelerator program and I was able to turn the company around and get to a place where it became a seven-figure business after I raised capital and made a lot of changes to myself and to the business. So that is really what launched me on this new phase of my career, career number four, 
which is coaching other women to do the same because there just are not enough resources out there to help women get through that kind of valley of death when you have a business but aren't sure how to take it into the big leagues. Yeah, I think that I hear that a lot, that that is the hard, the hardest part is coming up with your idea and getting going. And then I do have a lot of women who approach me and I always turn them to your book, which is, or to you, which is how do I scale this thing? I don't know what to do next. And that is really, that's a very tough moment. Well, yeah. And you know, when you start your business, there's all the newness and the enthusiasm and oh my God, this is so exciting, right? So you kind of have that energy, maybe you have a little bit of savings you're pouring into it. So you have a little right. bit of cash flow, but a couple of years in, you know, some of that energy and enthusiasm may have been dimmed by just how hard you are working. You know, one of the right. great myths of entrepreneurship is that it brings you more freedom. Um, I think, you know, we, we have this notion when we start our businesses, oh, I'll be able to work from wherever I want, I'll be so free, but in fact, you're working so hard that you sometimes feel like you have less freedom. Mm. However, there is a handful of entrepreneurs who have figured out how to build in that freedom and how to do what I call working smart, not hard. And that's one of the things I really emphasize in the online business school, Million Dollar Women Masterclass, is that you can build in that freedom and you can figure out how to have a life and enjoy your company and get into the seven figures, but it doesn't just happen by accident. Right. And one of the, I would say, one of the most interesting things that you really forced us to do was you started out by saying we should hire a virtual assistant. And that was... You know, it's the, and I think that's really hard for women also, even though, look, in my business, I've had assistants for the last 25 years, but it's really, I think it's a, it's a difficult thing for people to say, A, I deserve this help and B, I need this help in order to get to the next level. There's, there's kind of the old girl, put your head down, work really hard, do it yourself. Don't spend any extra money. You're going to be, you know, you've got to make it happen all by yourself kind of thing, which I think is I think you really hit the nail on the head by forcing people to say, I do need help. I can't do it all by myself. There are things that are not worth me doing at this point if I'm going to actually scale up. Absolutely. This is a big shift that women have to make before they can scale up their businesses because there's a built there's a built-in irony when you're an entrepreneur or paradox really, which is that you've got to start this business and have your initial success because you're really good at doing something, right? Maybe it's you're providing accounting services or maybe you're creating these amazing bags that people want to buy or you have a shipping company and you're doing great work. That's why you have your own company. So to get to the next level, though, it's less about being a great doer and much more about being a great leader, which means empowering other people to do great things. And making that transition is really hard because you've had all this confirmation and affirmation for doing what you do, which is handling a million things, juggling it all, multitasking. And that's great. That got you here. But it's not going to get you there. And, And that is one of the things we work on. And and I'm curious, when when you had an assistant in corporate America, did that feel different than when you had to go hire one and pay for it yourself? Yes, because you you in corporate America, you've got a staff of 35 or 50 and you know you can't do it without an assistant. You walk in and you know that. But when you're it's just you and you're getting it going, you feel like it's a luxury you shouldn't be spending money on. Right. And what you realize, or what I realized, it's not a luxury. It's a way to get yourself to the next level. It is money well spent. Absolutely. 
And there's that constant toggle in business, isn't there, where you're constantly going out on a limb to spend money that you don't quite have yet in the hopes of making more money. And this is one of the key places to do that. But, you know, the way I like to say it to kind of shake women out of this thinking of I have to do everything myself is if you're doing tasks that you could pay someone else $15 an hour to do, then you are cheating your business because you are worth, you know, $100 an hour, $200 an hour, hopefully much more than that at some point. And you're not going to be able to scale up if you're doing all these $15 an hour tasks. Absolutely. Talk about trying to get women to million dollar businesses and what the obstacles are in particular for women. Well, studies are done every year about the state of women-run businesses, and the same three themes come up all the time as to why women aren't scaling as quickly as men. And just to set the context, women-run businesses, fewer than 3% of them ever get to a million in revenues. So it's very small numbers. Very small numbers. When I started this journey about three years ago, it was at 1.8%. When I got a call from a journalist, I was at Little Pim and we crossed the million dollar mark and a journalist called up and said, we want to do a story on you. And I said, well, that's great. But, you know, why? What's the angle? And she said, well, you know, only 1.8% of women business owners ever get to a million in revenues. Jeez, terrible number. To be profiled, right. I just found that devastating and uh, really got energized right then to make that the change that I want to see in my lifetime. So um, I wrote Million Dollar Women to help more women reach this million dollar mark because having gone through that journey myself, you know, it's not rocket science. Is it, is it easy? No. But there are tried and true methods for getting your business past the million dollar mark, which, you know, let's face it, Leslie, that's just getting off go in the business world, right? That's not like massive success, even a million. That's just being taken seriously. So we really, really want to get more women there. Anyway, back to what's going on with the movement. Um, Oh, I was going to say the three things, right, that hold women back. So here are the three things that always come up. One is access to capital. So women tend to start their businesses with six times less capital than men do. That's in the high growth businesses. In the more like services businesses, we tend to start with half as much capital. But anyway, you slice it, we're under-resourced. So that's number one obstacle to scaling up. Number two is having access to the right networks. So how do you find the people you're going to do those big deals with? How do you find the people who are going to be the investors in your company, you know, back to access to the capital? So we're not in the right networks. And the third is actually female mentorship. Many women have cited that as one of the obstacles to scaling up, that they just don't see people who look and feel and act like them getting into the multimillions. And that is one of the things that inspired me to put my story out there with Million Dollar Women because I, I wish that I had read more stories along the way when I was scaling up my business. You know, I kept reading about Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Right. And, you know, they're great stories, but they just didn't resonate with me as the 30-something mother of two children, you know, trying to juggle all the things that I was juggling. So, you know, that that's one of the things we're doing is bringing more of these stories to light and creating more opportunities for female mentorship. So a- access to capital is a major issue. How, how are we going to get over that? How are we going to get through that? Is it literally just networking your way in? Is it a, for people who are listening, again, who are at the beginning of their businesses or thinking about starting something and wondering, do I need to raise money? Can I do it on my own? What's your, what's your you know, are there any sort of sure shots into figuring out how you should do it? Well, I think, 
putting the issue of capital squarely on the radar of every woman entrepreneur is already an important step in the sense that most of the women I speak to don't really have a plan for how they're going to raise money for their businesses. Now, not every business needs to raise capital, but any business that's looking to have a high growth, rapid scale up usually does. Now, it could just be a line of credit at the bank so that, you know, when you have to do that big marketing campaign in Q4 to double your sales, you know, that you can draw on some well of reservoirs so that you can, you know, go out on a limb. As we mentioned before, you're always kind of going out and spending some money and hoping that it will pay back. And if you do that well, then you can, you know, double or triple or quintuple your money. So that's one possibility. But there are so many ways of financing your business today. There's crowdfunding, There's angel investment for a small number of businesses. There's venture capital. But I think mainly women are just not very educated about these different options out there for them. And so I really want to bring that onto the radar of women entrepreneurs. I think just that is a great start. Mm -hmm. Do you think women should go to women's networks for funding? All these, I mean, there are lots of groups out there such as, you know, I guess it's 27 Angels. There's various groups um, yeah, sure. I mean, there area. are more and more opportunities to pitch to women angel investors, especially, and to a small degree, more women VCs, although that world is advancing very slowly, too. Um, These the same single digit numbers are true in the VC world, where I think it's under 4% of venture capitalists yes. are women, and they're much less likely to fund women-run businesses. 2 to 4% of venture capital funding goes to right. women-run businesses, so teeny tiny numbers. Right. Um, but I think with pitching to women, you know, I, I recommend women pitch to everyone because you never know where your funding will come from. And even though there are more and more women angel investors and boutique women VC firms, if you look at the dollars, there's about $25 billion invested by VCs every year in companies. And a very small portion of that is controlled by women. So mm. there are more women VC angel and boutique VC firms. I'm sorry, angel investor and VC firms, but the dollars they control are still relatively small. So I say pitch to everyone. Ah, interesting. Now let's talk a little bit more about money because that is a difficult conversation for a lot of women. I know I'm not terribly comfortable talking about money. And one of the things you talk about in Masterclass is about sales and how to learn to love it, even if you hate the idea of dealing with money. And I love that you say, quote, closing is one of my superpowers, but you admit that it took you years to get good at it. Over the feeling that asking for money is bad. It's still out there. And how do you teach them to become closers? Well, this is all part of this same socialization that we see about not wanting to have assistance or not wanting to think about, you know, raising capital. You know, we're not really socialized as women to take big risks. You know, I'm the mom of two boys and I see how they're pushed into things like, you know, soccer and football and places where you're constantly challenged and taught to take risks. And if you fall down, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But I think as women, we've often been socialized to kind of get the good grade and like work really hard and put your head down and take on more and make everyone happy and be a pleaser. You know, I have a chapter in Million Dollar Women that's called Powerful and Prepared, Not Pretty and Perfect. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where the socialization has gone. I'm sure it's changing. But to date, I think we suffer from that. So here, there's the same issue happening with how do we get women to think about 
money in a whole different way. Because I don't know about you, but I've never called up a friend of mine from college and said, hey, I just started a business. You want to put in $25,000? Right. Have you ever made that call? <laughs> Not Leslie? at all. <laughs> no. And have you ever gotten that call? No. But no. ask any of your guy friends from college. Most of them have made and gotten that call if they're entrepreneurs. Amazing. And they're out for drinks talking about their investments, right? They're comparing, you know, which stock performed the best and what what did you figure out about how to best, you know, reduce your taxes this year? I don't know what. They just talk about money a lot more than we do. So I think that even just talking about money more can make a big difference among women entrepreneurs. And I'm trying to create a safe space for that or have created a safe space for that in masterclass where the women can come on and say, hey, I really don't know what to look for in my P&L, my profit and loss. You know, like my accountant sends me these numbers, but I probably don't know what I should be changing or how much capital I'm going to need to get to my next phase of business. And so this has created a safe space for them to do that. And maybe we should mention the, uh, the Street Sisters. You oh, yes. Sisters? Talk about that because that was very helpful for me. Explain what Street Sisters is. Oh, great. Yeah. So, you know, being an entrepreneur myself and then also working with so many amazing women like you building their businesses, I'm, I'm constantly at my ear to the ground for like what could be a game changer in scaling up. And I realized that the Achilles heel for most women entrepreneurs is exactly what you're naming. It's the finances. It's managing the finances. It's figuring out how much capital you need. It's getting the chutzpah to call people up and ask them for money or run an online campaign like you did. You ran that great campaign. So, Bravo for that, for doing your crowdfunding. It was hard, and that was really hard. That was going out there. I did a campaign, um, for those who don't know, with ifundwomen.com, and it was a crowdfunding on a women's network, and it's hard. I mean, I had to go out there and on social media keep asking people to please fund me. I had to go to friends and family and ask them to please fund me, and boy, that was that was tough. But you know, you did a, a great job. And I think what's good about doing that is it builds the muscle, right? You start with yes. that and then you realize, all right, it didn't kill me. And by the way, now I'm able to provide this incredible brand and content to all these women who want it. And you know, you, you can get past it, right? It's like, it's not the end of the world. And it's actually empowers you because if you can figure out how to raise money, you're not dependent on anyone to give you permission to build your business, right? You can go find your stakeholders and rally them to help you fund your dream. So that's pretty exciting, yes. right? Oh yeah, and one and the the thing that it does, what the crowdfunding does for you also is it makes you not feel so alone with your idea. Mm, and you're topic. completely shocked at the number of people who will buy into your idea. And you're also completely I was completely shocked how many friends from grammar school showed up on my oh. funding. People from awesome? high school who I just, you know, I was like, I was just so, I have to tell you, I was overwhelmed and touched by some of the people who jumped in. Old assistants who would give me $25. That's amazing. I'm amazing. so thrilled to hear that. And you know what? I bet they were really happy to do it. I mean, we forget yes. that as entrepreneurs, only about 4% of the population ever even considers being an entrepreneur. And so everybody else is sitting at their desks saying, hey, that yes. looks pretty cool. Like we're giving them a ride in the entrepreneurial journey without taking Taking the risk, so that's very I good. I, that see, kind I of love the way you turn them. things around. <laughs> yeah, it's a reframe. So let me reframe. go back to the street sisters. So when I realized that one of the main pain points for the women in my masterclass was figuring out their finances, and even though I've gotten so much better at loving my finances and 
taking care of that side of the business over the years. It's not my expertise. So I went out and created a partnership with this wonderful organization called Wall Street Women Forum. And it's hundreds of women working on Wall Street, where, by the way, they're also working on their getting their numbers up, right? Not that many women in that world. So they've been gathering for years. And we created a partnership where several women who work at big, big institutions like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, are volunteering their time to be mentors to the women in masterclass. And we call it Street Sister because it's kind of like big brother, big sister. But the big sister is a woman on Wall Street and the little sister is a woman entrepreneur. And they sit down for three hours, I think it's via phone, but whatever, virtually sit down and solve the greatest financial challenge that the woman in business is having. It could be mapping out her projections for the next three years, figuring out the lifetime value of a customer, doing a cash flow spreadsheet, all those niggly things you put off and probably can't afford to pay someone to help you do well. These women do this all day long. They can do it in their sleep. And it's been a really amazing way to connect our two communities. No, and that was that. That is another really helpful aspect when you can get somebody who does nothing but finance to take a look at your projections, which you're just literally pulling out of your behind because you're making them up. And they look at them, <laughs> and, and you're like, and they're sometimes. like, "This looks good," and you're like, "It does, really." <laughs> and to like, have a professional kick the tires on what you're doing is so valuable. You don't want the first time yeah. that someone is looking at your, you know, finances to be someone who might invest in your company because you don't want them to find right. the mistake. You want it to be a street sister. Right. But it's very, and it makes you also feel confident that you're just not out there making it up. And, and even though you are making it up in the beginning, but it, it definitely gives you some kind of um, touchstone or something to grab onto to move you forward again, which Absolutely. is interesting. And, and look, there are norms in, in how you manage your finances, in fundraising spreadsheets. And once you know what those are, you know, and what the kind of template is, I think you feel a lot more confident. I know that I did in the early days of building my business. I had one of my advisors had a lot of financial experience and she helped me with my projections. And once I realized like, oh, this is what projections are. It's like, you know, three tabs, they roll up into the front tab, which is the summary. Um, you know, you got to figure out what your cost of goods are and the margins and the EBITDA. And once you get your brain around all that, it's really not that hard. Yeah, yeah. Easy for you to say. So, you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> so let's talk about, I think there are a lot of people listening who are thinking about maybe becoming an entrepreneur or having to reinvent themselves possibly as an entrepreneur, or they may have an idea in their back pocket, or they feel that their, you know, their cur- current corporate um, business is being disrupted and things are falling apart and they may be forced out and they have to have a s- sort of second reinvention plan in their back pocket. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the most shocking things about moving from corporate, even though I had come out twice as a freelance writer, being an entrepreneur is really different um, than that alone. And I, I think the really interesting and surprising thing is the inertia of leaving a corporate situation, which I kind of explain is like a rushing stream. And Mm -hmm. corporate is you just drop into the rushing stream and it keeps rushing and you go in and grab hold of it and do stuff with the water and the rocks and and make things happen. But but you don't have to go find the water. What's that? (laughs) But you don't have to go find the water. Right. When you're the entrepreneur, you have to go go find find the water. Right. And when you are doing your own thing, what is so surprising is that every morning you sit down at your table in your dining room or kitchen and you say, nothing's happening. 
And I thought what was really interesting about your approach is you kind of use sort of resources, you know, processes, sort of spreadsheets, calendar planning, yes. scheduling to get that rock moving. And it's a very interesting way to approach it, which I've never really run into before where anybody could um, explain how you create your own momentum. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm a bit of a systems geek. I mean, I love Excel spreadsheets and I love using, you know, all the latest newfangled bells and whistles and Google, like they have this great thing called canned response. I think you might remember that from uh, our class, which allows you to keep ready to go drafts of emails. There are just so many things you can use today to help you be more efficient. Um, I think that the best thing is to figure out which tools you really enjoy using and then be very consistent about using them. So for me, for instance, I really love using all the bells and whistles in Gmail, in my calendar, but then I also like to just keep an Excel spreadsheet that is constantly open on my desktop called Outreach, where I track everybody I'm talking to about my various projects. You know, I organize the annual Million Dollar Women's Summit. So I have a tab about that. I've got a tab about masterclass. I have a tab about other projects, teaching, you know, whatever I have going on. So that at a glance, I can go back and find the people I've started these conversations with, where am I at with them, and when is it time to follow up? And you won't be surprised that this is one of the tasks I outsource to my virtual assistant, and then I also have an in-person assistant, where I actually make it their job to follow up with me. Because, you know, if you really embrace the idea that you are your most valuable asset of your company, and you are, then it's very important to have other people doing things that it doesn't have to be you. So it has to be me to write the email and say, hey, Leslie, I'd love to pick up that conversation where we left off 10 days ago. But it doesn't have to be me looking through the spreadsheet and saying, oh, right. hey, you talked to Leslie 10 days ago. It's time to write right. her again. Someone else right. can do that. So but those are some of my you, favorite tricks. You load everybody you meet into that spreadsheet. And I thought that was very interesting. Can you explain that? Like everywhere you go and every card you get, I just loaded into my um into my contacts thing, but you're putting it into a sheet with action attached to it. Yeah. And if you use a CRM, you know, a customer relationship management software that it can do that for you, right? If you use Salesforce or that kind of thing. But you know, from my old fundraising days, I always use Excel. And for me, it's just easy access. I don't have to get on the internet. You know, I mean, it does, I do keep it in Dropbox as well, but I can download it and print it out easily. In fact, I think when we met Leslie, I had my stack of business cards from the conference yes. and I was entering them into the spreadsheet. Yes, you were. That's right. <laughs> So for every conference I go to, I do that. And then I turn it over to my assistant with little tags in it, like add this person to LinkedIn, um, put this person on my newsletter list, put this person as a draft in email saying, hey, let's follow up and figure out if I should be a speaker at your next conference. And you can just move through such a greater volume of networking that way. Um, this might be a good time to mention that I have a free ebook called Power Networking for Female Founders. Because if you're doing your job right as an entrepreneur, you're out meeting people all the time and trying to find folks who can help you grow the business. And that quickly becomes overwhelming. I like to say if you can still remember everyone you're meeting, then you're probably not managing it with the right system, right? Or you're not meeting enough people. Sorry, you're not meeting enough people if you can remember them all. So you want to get to a place where you need a system to manage all the folks that you're networking with. And it's called Power Networking for Female Founders. Where do we find it? Um, if you email me, I will send it to you. Okay. So what's your email? So my listeners can email you. 
Absolutely. It is Julia at juliapimsler.com. And spell Pimsler because that's not easy. Oh, good point. Julia at Julia Pimsler, J-U-L-I-A-P-I-M-S as in Sam, L-E-U-R.com. Right. And this is and exclusive. So free- I, I only share it with folks who I've spoken to, like at conferences, or if you're in my masterclass, very happy to share it with your podcast listeners. Awesome. You will get, I am sure you will get many people asking for that. So Thank let's talk about advantages that women have over men when it comes to starting their own businesses. And are there any disadvantages? We've talked about funding. That's an issue. But are there any advantages? And are, and are there any advantages to being a woman, a woman over 40 starting a business on your own? I, I really think there are. I've never been asked that question before. But first of all, statistically, men start their businesses in their mid-20s and women start their businesses in their mid-30s. There are younger women who start businesses, but the majority of them are already heading towards 40. So you will find in the entrepreneurial world plenty of women who are not, you know, 22 starting a business. So that already is is a positive. And that's partly because women being a little more cautious, as we were talking about before, often wait until they're kind of domain experts before they launch their business. Whereas you might have seen these studies that show that guys, if they think they have like, you know, 50% of what it needs to do a job, they put their hand up and say, hey, take me, I can do it, right? And they'll just figure it out when they get there. (laughs) Right. But those studies show that women, you know, want to have 80% of it figured out before they put their hand up. So I think that's true in entrepreneurship as well, where we're starting businesses later. Now, the advantage of that is if you already are grown up and you already maybe have had children, gotten married, dealt with, you know, big professional changes and challenges, you have a lot more confidence and tools and resources to draw on than when you're 22. So I actually think that's a big advantage in the entrepreneurial world. The other piece of being a woman is that right now, women in entrepreneurship is really hot. It's in the news all the time. People know that women are trying to catch up. What'd you say, Leslie? Sorry, that was cut off. We're trending. We're trending. That's right. This is the best time to be a woman entrepreneur. It really is. And so I think there's a lot of momentum right now. And even though some of the stats that we're trying to help change in the Million Dollar Women movement around how many women get to a million and how many women get funded, you know, can be demoralizing. I think on the positive, women run 11 million businesses in America. We own close to 40% of all businesses. So there's a lot of opportunity for one, doing business with other women, two, you know, getting funding or a bank loan because people want to encourage women entrepreneurs right now. So I really suggest everyone sees that opportunity and go out there with, you know, a huge amount of confidence and energy to get get what's coming to you because there's a lot of great stuff coming our way. Great. Now let's talk also about, um, again, one of the things that you attack this whole problem with reading. You have an incredible list of important books. I, I was shocked to find out you're just like constant, you're a voracious reader and you've read like I, every business books. book that's out there. And you have um, the Million Dollar Women Masterclass book on, on Amazon, which is a whole list. So can you give our listeners three top books that they should start with if they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur? What are your opening sure. ways? Well, I, first I'm going to recommend my book, which is Million Dollar Women, which I wrote because I really wanted to read the stories of more women who built multi-million dollar businesses from scratch. I felt they were not appearing in the media. We were mainly reading about you know the same five women all the time. That's right. It was like Arianna Huffington and Oprah and Sarah Blakely, who founded right. Spanx. 
But I wanted to profile women who had built, you know, five to $40 million businesses whose names were not household names. So in Million Dollar Women, I tell my story of building Little Pim from scratch, how I got over my own fears and mindset issues to get to a place where I could go raise money and build a seven-figure business, and then profiled seven women who did the same thing from across the country. So that's a good place to start. There are two newish books that just came out in the last couple of years I like a lot that are about the, the trajectory of building a scalable business. One is called The Startup J-Curve, by Howard Love, and he traces the six steps of building a business and how you can go through those steps with sort of more ease and also not get demoralized when you're in some of the downturns of the business. That's what I like about his book is it's very realistic about the challenges of building a business and the ups and downs. And those six steps, just to give you a taste, are create, release, morph, you know, or adapt, pivot, model, scale, and harvest, where you reap the rewards. So check out the Startup J-Curve if you wanna learn more about that. And then the other one I like a lot, especially if you have an e-commerce business or building an online business, is Dotcom Secrets. And oh, that these was are great. all on my that Amazon was great. I read that. Oh yeah, you, I think I recommended that to you when you we did. spoke last you time. Uh-huh. What did you get out of that one? Oh, I, I mean, just the whole funnel idea, and he sort of boiled the whole thing down into, you know, explaining how different dot com is than anything else, and how you can tackle it. Just very, um, and even just of, those terms, right? Of like your warm leads, your cold leads, and being yes. able to think about anyone who comes into your universe as a prospective customer and where they should sit and how you should handle them. I thought yes. was really helpful in that book. And very concrete. And because so many of us today are in dot-com businesses, even if we don't think of ourselves like that, I don't think of Covey Club as being a dot-com business, but actually when you look at it from a business point of view and read his book, it is. Yeah, I so, mean, de facto, most of us are running you know, dot-com businesses, right? Because we're all on yeah. the internet. We're all using the internet, even if we're not selling you know, digital services, we're using the internet to sell whatever we do. Correct. And that's where I made my connection. I did not understand that because I was using the internet, it was a dot-com business. I thought a dot-com business was only if I was creating things for the internet, which is different. Yeah. And you know, those definitions are changing all the time too. Now there's a very popular term that I think has helped a lot of women business owners, which is a tech enabled business, because it sometimes yes. feels when you're an entrepreneur, like every single opportunity, whether it's accelerators or incubators or VC funding is for tech businesses. And yes. women don't run as many tech businesses yet as men do. We tend to start businesses in healthcare, in communication, in education. There are other fields that are disproportionately uh, women run businesses, and it's not tech. However, most of those very same businesses are what are called tech enabled. You know, I have women in masterclass Correct. running beauty companies, but they're selling online. They've found really innovative ways of packaging up what they're selling and making it an amazing online experience. Those are tech enabled businesses and can actually get access to some of those same resources that the pure tech businesses can. Yes, very good. So in closing, I always like to leave my readers the three really concrete tips that they can take tomorrow and use to help them get off the mark. And so what would you recommend to them? Well, I'm a huge believer in professional development. As you know, I hired so many coaches and I'd like to share that. So I, my first is professional development. 
sit down and think about what are you going to do now or at least in 2018 to get to your next level? Where are your weak spots? What are you good at? And maybe do that with a friend or a fellow entrepreneur so that you can get a little outside perspective on it. Um, you know, I'm the million dollar woman and I'm making air quotes, right? But in fact, yes. I spent $60,000 and about six years in order to get to the place where I could have a seven figure business. And that, you know, that didn't just magically happen. So I really encourage women to invest in themselves. Um, now you say $60,000 on coaching? Um, over the years on various coaches, the entrepreneurs organization, I attended Harvard's executive ed program called launching new ventures. So awesome. yeah, over okay, the years, this is great. 60,000 went in. And that's one great. of the reasons I created the million dollar women masterclass, my online business school, which is very affordable, because I knew most women wouldn't be able to afford that wouldn't have those resources. And I wanted to make it easier for other women to scale up. So check okay. that out online if you're interested. And in terms of professional development, you can even start by dedicating X number of hours per week to reading blogs. There's so much on the internet and some of these business books. I have about 100 free blogs on my website about scaling up at yep, juliapimsler.com. Thanks, Leslie. And one just came out today that I think you read that about was excellent. Uh, the sales one. Yes, excellent. So yeah, that's a great place to start. So do you want three tips? All right. So one is invest in your professional development. Two, work on your mindset. Mindset is the foundation on which we build our mansions. And you cannot build a mansion on quicksand. So if your mindset is shaky, if you don't have the full confidence, if you're not completely determined, if you don't know exactly why you're building this business and what's going to be amazing about it, it's very easy to get thrown off course. There's so many challenges. I'm sure you've experienced just in your first year, right, Leslie? Oh, daily. Right? So much harder than you ever imagined. And Way so harder. everybody goes through that. And it, that's where mindset really makes a big difference. I touch on that in Million Dollar Women. And actually, my next book is going to be on mindset. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And then the third thing is um, be a little more of a geek. Like, check out these systems that exist out there. When I was part of the Entrepreneurs Organization, one thing I noted is about 85% men in the Entrepreneurs Organization. Guys talk a lot about their systems, like this cool app they're using, you know, how are they sending out emails more efficiently and effectively. And that's where I got a lot of my great tools that I use all the time. So channel your inner geek, make it a point to go talk to someone, whether it's another woman or a guy about what systems they're using and, you know, make a commitment to picking some systems that work for you that will help you create the water to have that stream that we were talking about before, because that's the best way to keep the momentum going. Awesome. Julia, thank you so much. And if readers want to reach out to you or listeners want to reach out to you, they reach out to you directly at Julia at JuliaPimsler.com. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And I specialize in helping women who are scaling up their businesses once they have a business that's making 75K and then right up to like 750K to get to the next level. And until you're at 75K, I've got amazing free blogs. We have the Million Dollar Women's Summit coming up. So you can check that out on my website and would love to see you on social media too. I'm very active on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Leslie, I'm such a huge fan of yours and of the Covey Club and really excited to see you take this business big. I will be here cheering for you along the way. So thanks for having me on your podcast. Great and wonderful. And thank you so much for being here, Julian, for all you do for women who are trying to get out there and make it big. We so appreciate it. My pleasure.
I want to thank everybody today for listening to the Covey cast. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am so thrilled to have you here. I'm so glad that we had Julia Pimsler come to talk to us about the real truth and tricks and tips about getting yourself started as an entrepreneur, or maybe finding out this is not for you. Either way, it's one method of reinvention. It's not all of them. And I hope that if you like the CubbyCast, you will pass this along to friends. You will ask them to listen as well. And if you like us, please rate us. That's the only way for other people to find out if we are even there is for us to get some ratings. And we are on podbean.com as well as in the iTunes store. Thank you for joining us on CubbyCast. And until next time, have a great day.